Welcome to the Unhooked Podcast, hosted by author, writer, and recovery advocate, Annie Highwater. This is a podcast of real conversations and true stories from those who have been affected by and overcome adversity. Each episode will tell real, raw, sometimes unbelievable stories, opening up the lives of a variety of guests, as well as your host. You will hear stories of despair, recovery, and triumph from people who have risen from or are making their way through wilderness experiences. The goal of the Unhooked podcast is to take a deep, productive look into topics related to addiction, alcoholism, grief, mental and emotional health, family dysfunction, codependency, conflict, and other types of affliction. The good, the bad, the dramatic, the real-life stuff that all of us face. You will hear wisdom and hope from people who are fighters, who fought to persevere through bewildering circumstances and difficult obstacles. You can contact Annie by emailing annieunhooked at gmail.com. And now, enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Unhooked Podcast, everyone. I have invited my brother's friend, Ben, on again. Um, and today we have somewhat of a topic-related podcast. Because I received so much feedback and a ton of messages about this subject after I posted an article about it, I have decided to... Ben and I are going to have a conversation about the high conflict personalities, or they're called HCPs. Um, we have a little bit of an article to read from it and some experiences. Um, if you've dealt with this in your own life, maybe you don't have words or language for it, but it's the type of person who is always in drama or makes drama and a big deal out of everything. We have a way of breaking it down and talking about how we've maybe veered into the behavior or dealt with it ourselves and where we are with it today. So with that said, getting into some deeper thoughts on conflict, welcome back, Ben. Hey, thanks. Glad to be back. I enjoyed last time and uh, researching this subject with, um, uh, with some good therapy for myself too. So I enjoy this. Good therapy and some, um, I think, shining a light on it because you know, makes you understand it a little more, maybe how you've been in it or makes you understand why others are operating out of it. So I'm really looking forward to it. So with that said, one of the things you said to me in a recent conversation has stuck with me for weeks. We were talking about ridicule being conflict. And I guess I never looked at it that way. If you think about when you're riffing back and forth on each other, or maybe you are part of a crowd where it's a lot of ridicule and criticism and sarcasm, and you're always on guard or good at giving it back. I never realized that it can produce a toxic feeling or toxic results because ridicule is conflict too. Oh, absolutely. I used to, when I was younger, that, that's, that was basically my whole personality was sarcasm and ridiculing people. And some people got a kick out of it. And, but most of the time, a lot of people were hurt by it. They were just glad when they weren't the ones being hurt and I was doing it to somebody else. But once it turned on them, of course, it was no fun. Well, yeah, I think, well, I was born into it. I mean, I was born, youngest of six. That was, you got ganged up on if you had an interest, if you brought home artwork, if you made a mistake. That was just how we communicated was to make fun of each other and back and forth. And sometimes it was something you weren't really conscious about. You just flowed in the pattern. And sometimes it was really, really painful. So as I developed a social life of my own, I tended to attract people that were high conflict and really big into ridicule. And if I would, you know, take it and get my feelings hurt and then turn it back on them, I got pretty good at it. I wouldn't understand why they would get so mad or say your comments had teeth, you know? So I think until you're aware of it, I don't know if you realize how negative and toxic it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, in my case, a lot of it was, uh, just, uh, 
I started getting prone insulting people as a way of protecting myself in case they didn't like me. And, you know, a lot of that was pride. And a lot of it was just a, like a big game too. If I could break them is basically was my goal, you know, get them mad. And I stayed, you know, in control of my emotions. It, you know, it was a big game and I won, you know, and then I did it to a guy at work one time and uh, when I, when I told him my philosophy on and how I broke him, he was all pissed off. He looked at me like, why would you want to make, you know, somebody mad and put them in a bad mood and ruin their day? I just don't understand why you would even want to do that. After he said that, I had never, nobody had ever broke it down to me like that. I, I changed it almost immediately after that and started thinking, that is crazy. Why am I doing that? And kind of just kind of quit doing it. And, you know, it wasn't, didn't happen overnight, but, you know, over time I was pretty much got out of that. Well, yeah, I don't think you're even aware of it. It's kind of like a back and forth freestyling thing. And, you know, it certainly has existed in my family. And um, at times it had been, I almost think, abusive. I remember my brothers would, had made up a song when I was, um, I think, 11 or 12. And every time I would walk in the room, they would chant, um, go to bed, go to bed, go to bed, go to bed, go to, you know, no matter what day or time it was, as soon as I would talk and they would think it was funny. And sometimes their friends would um, chime in. And I remember being humiliated and think, you too? Like you're making fun of me too, or, you know, looking back on that now, and I'm not trying to hold on to childhood wounds for the rest of my life, but I, you know, we've all got kids now and adult lives. And I look at their kids and I think, well, how would your kids feel if they walked into a room and they were surrounded by people telling them basically leave You're you know, stupid, you're not wanted in here. So I think, you know, it was almost like the Lord of the flies in our household. We had a lot of dysfunction, a lot of competition came from a lot of painful situations and that just spawned it forward for me. So then when I developed, you know, teenage friendships, I was really nasty about that. And I would either, I would take it to a point and then I would lash back about their family problems and, you know, things like that. And it's a really bad habit to get into. And I, I really like how the guy broke it down to you and said, why would you want to make someone feel like that? Because really, if you stop and think about it, why would you? Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I guess a lot of it for me was just, uh, uh, I don't know, like you said, you don't want to go back to childhood or whatever, but some of us, maybe I felt a little unloved inside the way I was brought up and never felt quite the the love for my parents. And I hate to bring it back that everybody blames on that, but I really do think at the core that might be part of it. So I was sort of cold inside and it was just, I was good at lashing out. It made me sort of uh, hardened where I could lash out. And if they tried to come back at me, I wasn't, you know, as reactive and could control my emotions and I was taking pride in that and a lot of my problems and all this stuff goes back to pride too and that was a prideful thing to even try to break somebody and you know like look at me I'm I broke him I'm better than him and you know a lot of a lot of, a lot of things I can trace back to pride for my personality or like you just try to make somebody kind of feel stupid so you feel safe yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really, and you don't realize you're doing it and you know I, I just talked to somebody the other day about um how we've had to unlearn so many things that we thought were normal. Basically, our whole social life we had to unlearn. And she was saying how um, she doesn't really have much contact with her brother because he's really savage about that. And at at a certain point, it just gets old to be like attacked and have to ridicule back. And we were talking about how we had, you know, a group of friends on through our 20s that made fun of everything, whether it was your weight, what you look like, what someone else looked like, who you did or didn't, you know, sleep with or what you acted like when you went out, what you dressed like, how much money. I mean, there just nothing was safe. And, I, you know, I know I drew that into my own life because I came from it and it was normal, but it's miserable. So I really liked it being brought to my awareness that ridicule and and riffing on each other and sarcasm, it's like standing toe to toe with somebody and having an argument with them. It's really no different. 
Yeah, oh yeah, agreed. And a lot of times, like you said, it's maybe a young person thing because I was working with a young guy uh, and he was he was good at it. And, you know, I used to be good at it and I'd kind of fall back into it doing it with him, but he would just go so low and so blow, blow the belt on things. I was, and I was thinking, I'm definitely not going to go back to doing that as I, you know, back in the old days, I, I wouldn't even have hesitated. So really, I couldn't win with him because he was willing to go to that and started making me think that's more of a young person's game, you know, and right. as you get older, you realize, okay, this isn't, uh, this isn't the best way. You should be building people up, not tearing them down. Or what's the point of tearing somebody down? So when you give it back to him, or if you have, what's his response? Just to go harder? Go harder, <laughs> go harder and wear you down. Just keep going, never stop, <laughs> which is used to be my strategy. So I recognize that strategy when I'm doing it. So it's not like he's throwing me something I don't know. I, I know exactly what he's doing. And it's really just coming from wrong thinking and being dull and immature, I think. Well, this guy has had a, he's a good guy, is hard. This guy I'm talking about has had a good, uh, he's a, had a rough life. He was homeless for a while and his parents were definitely way worse than mine. And uh, he, he's just had all kinds of problems growing up. So I see that too, you know, why he is the way he is. He's, you know, being homeless and your parents not really loving you. They definitely didn't love him. And the way he grew up, he's just, it's just an armor he put on, you know, and just like me, people, when you're good at that and he's good at it, just as I was, uh, people love that as entertainment. Like when you're working yeah. with somebody and he's cracking on the other guy and you're watching this, it's like, this is, you know, this is funny, but when it's turned on you, it ain't so funny. No, <laughs> it's like a roast and yes. then they make you feel stupid. So they feel safe. And that's right, really, that's right. really the bottom line of it. The more stupid you feel, the better I look. Right. It's like that right. teeter totter thing. I, when I become, we had become friends with a couple of therapists about 10 years ago and they started identifying those things. I would feel ashamed if I operated in them. Yeah, whole agreed. And his thing was exactly the same as mine too. Is that he was he wanted me to break, and every once in a while I would break, even though I know the game, because he would just keep going and wear me down, and just go out of bounds and go so low. I'd have to, you know, I would get mad and re and react exactly what he was wanting me to do. Yeah, <laughs> that is. Even though I knew it was happening, I couldn't help myself. Yeah, you know, I went into a birthday party. This is about geez, eight years ago. And I had really been, so, you know, when I went through some years of raising my kid, I really didn't socialize too much. I was really pretty much a hermit and just wrapped up in his life. But I went to a birthday party and I hadn't seen some of these kids or some of these friends in years. And one of them, when I walked into a restaurant, it was like a wings place, just started following me around and calling me God, girl and preacher. And, you know, because I was, I, I went really off the deep end with church for a while and kind of chased everybody down trying to get them saved and came I back into that. Yes. <laughs> I was there during that journey. Yeah, that was some high conflict. But, you know, I really believed, if you really believe it's about life and death and you care about people, you will try to, like, convince them. So, I mean, I had the best of intentions. It was all fear-based. It wasn't looking down on anybody, but... You no, know, I, don't I think did a, were, I think no, you wanted I, to help people. I did, and I did a lot of damage to friendships and, sh and and chased people away, but I didn't realize that I thought it was, I almost thought it was like a short span of time I had to help people get saved. It was, you know, kind of crazy, but anyway, it's kind of come back into balance since, and that was a long time ago, but he followed me around calling me preacher and everything I would say or do or anybody that would talk to me. He, I mean, he was just being a jerk he, and he was getting more and more buzzed and I wasn't drinking. So it was bothering me more. And he kept saying, preacher girl got everything. I mean, and it was finally like I'd had it. So I screamed across the table, shut up, shut the F up. Like as loud as I could. And everybody got quiet for a second. And his brother turned to me and said, you just let him get you. Like he just totally got you. And I guess I just kind of realized it at that moment that that was his intention was just to break me. And really, I I'd walked into it kind of not even realizing he had developed it and even 
better scheme of ridicule and had increased over the years as his alcohol problem increased and it had nothing to do with me, but I completely took the bait and lost it and made a fool out of myself. (laughs) (laughs) I I would have to agree. Yeah. So now I know better to, I have what I call a 90 second rule in moments of stress or conflict where I will pull away somehow, whether I'm driving or somebody's kind of baiting me like that and breathe through to about 90 seconds. And I'm not going to respond and take that bait and I'm, or I'm going to avoid that type of person and not, you know, put myself in that situation again, where I'm going to get berated like that to a point of having to snap or, you know, I don't really want somebody stripping me down, calling me out, singling me out, putting me on the spot and embarrassing me to the point where I freak out. I don't want friends like that or encounters like that. So I am my own advocate and I do what's healthy to avoid those conflict situations. Agreed. Maybe yeah. now we should talk about uh, what is a high conflict personality and explain that to people if they don't already know. Yeah, I think we both looked up a few. So if you want to just go ahead and start with the first one, there's an artic- a great article by Bill Eddy, who's a licensed clinical social worker. It was published in Psychology Today. He's also an attorney that has worked with families in court situations of custody and divorce. So he's definitely seen his fair share of high conflict. So if you want to go into the first one, I love his description of them all. Okay. Uh, basically, he's saying there's five types of uh, of uh, HCPs, is what you start calling high conflict personalities. And uh, the first one he lists is uh, antisocial HCPs, and uh, they're usually sociopaths or psychopaths, aggressive people without a conscience, and uh, mm-hmm. they can be extremely charming and deceptive and cruel to get what they want. And they also, like most HPCs on many levels, blame their targets for causing their frustrations. And a lot of and times the they're con artists. The target could be a wife, ex-wife, friend. You know, they have a target of focus that they put all their energy onto. Definitely. Just like the, uh, uh, you know, the Texas shooter at the, at the church a while ago, you know, and he was mad at the wife's parents and he, he went on killing everybody over that at a church. So I would say he definitely church. fits right. into this. Yeah. Right. So it's somebody who has a target and everything kind of centers and is funneled through what they're blaming things on. I I like how it talks about the patterns being that they have someone or something to blame always. They think all or nothing. Everything's black or white. There is no in between. There is no place to compromise and understand. They have unmanaged emotions and they typically always have extreme behaviors. Yes, definitely. So if you're seeing that, you're probably dealing with a high conflict, um, personality. I, the antisocial also will punish their target if they're in relationship with them. And then they expect to have normal things then occur, whether, you know, how they've acted out or exploded or blasted you, but then they expect you to be sexual with them or kind to them, to be affectionate, to get to treat them well, even after you're still kind of surging and throbbing from them just hurting you. And I, it says that they, they seem to be biologically energized to harm people without remorse. And I think that's a certain type. I know I've been in and out of high conflict behaviors, but I don't get energy from harming people. I did it because I was trying to feel safe and fight my way through a toxic life. Yeah, I would say maybe at times I got energized by that, you know, I (laughs) I would have to, (laughs) which is, I hate to admit. And some other personality patterns, you know, there are people that fall into these this HCP category are usually rigid and uncompromising and they can't accept loss or heal over it, you know, and like back to, they always blame preoccupied with blaming others and never uh, takes responsibility for the problem and no empathy, never any empathy has very difficult time having any empathy for thinking about somebody else's point of view. 
they can't accept loss or heal over it. That's so, I mean, I've known just, I've worked with and encountered a lot of people, big family, public jobs. So I, you know, I'm not identifying anybody specifically. I've encountered, that's a type of person that cannot accept loss or healing. And that's, you know, somebody who has a bad divorce and blames somebody the rest of their life because of certain things that don't measure up in their life. So they target this person forever. I've seen that happen so many times in divorces and breakups. Somebody that just can't heal. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's definitely an HCP. Go ahead and uh, talk about number two. Okay. That's narcissistic, which um, they really focus intensely on their target and they're constantly putting them down often in public in an effort to prove they're superior. Again, that's making you look stupid. So I feel safe. They use lots of insults with their partners or their target. And, but yet at the same time, they demand admiration and affection. They think their behavior is justified because somebody else has treated them unfairly or things haven't gone their way. So they justify everything they say or do that's toxic. Again, no real empathy for their target or anyone else. In the workplace, they're known for kicking down on someone that's below them and kissing up to anyone above them. You never really see the real them because they kind of shift and adjust to what benefits them in every situation. Um, a lot of times it, people don't recognize what they're dealing with. So management or the public will think this is a great person, but the one that they're targeting or attacking or kicking while they're down is seeing a devious side of them. Bullying, sexual harassment fit right into this person's drive for power and superiority. Well, I think that about sums it up. <laughs> I've seen this recently. I have a, a relative that went through a divorce and there was no ownership on the part of this person who was left. It was all blame and trashing and trashing on social media and any way they could come up with to make her look bad and them not look at fault. And I've seen it done in other situations too, to make someone look like a bad husband, a bad father. And like they were wonderful when, you know... <laughs> It's give and take in a lot of situations. Somebody might be more at fault, but when you're really kicking someone when they're down and smear campaigning, that's high conflict. Yeah, I think most people do that when and anytime there's a problem in a relationship or anything, or if they cheat on you, whatever, they never want to look at like, well, why did this happen? You know, what was my part? And even though maybe I wasn't as bad as they were and I didn't go cheat, you know, but why did they, you know, if things were good in this relationship, why would they be cheating or why would they go behind my back and do this or that? You know, you're, you obviously got to have some blame there. So you should always be able to step back and figure out, you know, where your part in that was. And, you know, it might not be a 50, 50, but you still probably have a 20 or 30% you know, pardon your uh, blaming the, the problem. So nobody wants to do that. It doesn't seem like. No, I mean, you have a part in everything. Even if you're not at fault for someone's behavior and their behavior is extreme, why did I choose this person and allow it? Why did I go along right. with the situation? You know, what in my life needed to heal that I called this situation forward and went through this time? Yeah, because usually you could have walked away much earlier or put your foot down and, uh, drove the behavior a different direction quicker than you did or you know sometimes you're even enabling and don't realize it until you step back and look yeah I had a friendship that went on and on and on and on for decades even though I'd get burnt over and over and anyone that cared about me my son grew up watching the situation and I would even a couple years would go by and then it would return and I would think it was going to be such a great bond and so fun and like you know we were like relatives and then I'd get burnt in almost the exact same ways over and over and as my son became an adult, he would say, how many times do you have to get blasted and let down before you realize you're allowing this, you're choosing this, you're returning, you have a part in this, you can choose better for yourself. 
<laughs> yeah, agreed. <laughs> um, the, the third one is borderline, and there's borderline personality disorder, and that's an interesting one to look up or read about. There's a great book called I Hate You, Don't Leave Me that describes the borderline personality disorder, and when that's paralleled and coupled with a HCP, that can be an extremely toxic, dangerous, high drama, high conflict personality. So what did you find on that one? Well, it's, they're preoccupied with close relationships and seem to cling to them. They're kind of clingy. And then uh, sooner or later, they'll treat their partners, children, coworkers, bosses, and others targets of blame. A lot of these HCPs always have targets of blame. There's somebody or something they're blaming. Is any, you know, some sort of perceived abandonment or problem in there. Their, rage, their rages can be quite dangerous and they can go from, you know, friendly to rage again and back to raging and just kind of a back and forth. You know, it's raging thing. They'll get, they'll be friendly and then start raging. And it's always against some target of blame, but they don't just stay raging. They'll get friendly again. Yeah. You can't really predict when they're hot and cold. It's like a roller coaster. And one thing that fits in here is um, I have a little bit of an obsession with the subject of splitter. If you know what a splitter is, that was on a recent podcast I did with um, a codependency coach. Have you ever heard of, heard of one of those? No. You deal with it a lot with borderline or and um, when somebody's in active drug addiction, it's where they will bond by dividing. So they will, there's always going to come a split. It's, you know, hot and cold and they're going to divide people. So um, the example I give is I worked with a, man, a couple, the husband and wife both worked with me for about seven years and they dealt with the ex-wife and they knew anyone that had gotten close to her, became friends with her, was hearing exaggerated stories about them, that she was, she was a splitter. She was going to divide their daughter from them, coaches from them, the daughter's teachers. If, if the ex-wife, you know, she would cling to this ex-husband's family, still go around his family, which is like, you know, crossing lines in a divorce, but she would turn his family against him. So he would always say, as soon as we see her buddying up to somebody or friends on social media or hanging out with them, we just know the split's coming. So we don't even try because we're not going to do a tug of war with her. She can just have them and truth will come out about her eventually. So a splitter goes along a lot of times with somebody who's really clinging in relationships. They can be very jealous and competitive and fight for their children over you. It's not about what's best for the kids. It's about I'm winning. If you take the kids and have a great time with them, I got to have a better time because it means that we're in competition. So there's always a split coming with that type. And that's extremely high personality. That you can see um, actually in this article by this licensed clinical social worker who's also a lawyer. He has seen them fighting in custody battles. And there's alienation, exaggerated allegations about the opposing parent. And it's you're just going to be in a fight every chance there is for a fight with this type of personality. Yeah, I think you've seen more of that than I have. Uh, I've heard several stories of you dealing with these types of people, and I've seen these types of people, but I don't think I have as much experience dealing with them as you have. So I think you've done a pretty good job explaining that one. Yeah, I've dealt with it all. You know, I have. <laughs> I had some of those in my family, and I've dealt with them as an adult. And I've seen. I've been friends with people who have had divorce experiences and dealt with them. And it's really a nasty thing to deal with because you know, no matter what, you've got enemies being made for you. They'll come after your reputation. Anything that they can kind of degrade about you, it's going to get pounced on. So really, there's nothing you can do except retreat. Don't engage the behavior. Don't fight with them. Don't defend or try to paint a different picture yourself. Just go on about your life doing what you think is right and what you think is best and let them kind of chase after whatever negative energy they need to fill up on. Yeah, I don't think I can add much more to it. You covered that one pretty good. Well, that's because it's one I hate. <laughs> <laughs> good point. 
point. I've had to get good at dealing with it because I hate the split. I really do. I really hate it. I really, you know, if I introduce people, I want them to get along so that we can all get along. I don't want to introduce you so that you can all turn on me and gang up on me or that I can gang up on you. So I don't really understand that divisive stuff. Um, but then again, I know that I've operated in some high conflict behaviors myself and if there's things I've been trying to call out or expose about other people you know even if I've wrongly done so or tried to tell on a friend for stabbing another friend in the back it's really never been to get energy from causing trouble it's really been to make myself safe or to expose the truth when a lot of times what we don't realize is it's it's not up to us to expose it we can just make things worse so you just kind of got to step back and let that go on yeah, I have actually dealt with this borderline and splitter, as you say, quite close to me or whatever. My my mom has always kind of been like that with, you know, a lot of times my wife or my girlfriend at the time or whatever. She, I don't know why, but she likes to, it's not an extreme version of that, but like a mild version of that. But and I, I brought it up to her a couple of times and it didn't go over too well. And So like she that, stabs you in the back or makes you look bad or causes conflict? Yeah, more like causes conflict or just kind of a, a, a negative, we'll say think negative comments or whatever. Not real bad, and as we've gotten older, less of that, but more when I was younger. So what, how'd you handle it? You just getting ticked off? Uh, yeah, it's kind of hard to handle that or whatever, especially when it's your mom or whatever. You can't really – uh, yeah, you, if you criticize them, they're, they're going to get very defensive, you know, and you're, you're dealing with emotions, so you're not going to be able to use logic on them, you know. It's an emotional – driven thing so if you try to use logic it doesn't give anywhere and I don't know I just try to use empathy and uh you know and I have to set limits on you know what their behavior is and I can't control yeah. their behavior but how I'm going to react to it I can control and let them know that you know really you're controlling the situation your behavior is making me you know do this or do that so yeah, you really I mean just for me it's frustrating, and I know there have been times that I've tried to validate myself or invalidate what I know isn't true or fair, but it honestly just makes it worse. So what you have to do is set up borders of what you'll allow, what you let close to you, how much information they get to have about you, because if it's proven that they're going to take off running, you know, there's, I've had a situation in my life where there's someone that's very likable, but she's got these tendencies, and if I tell her anything, I know it's going to come back on me. I know that down the road, if she gets mad at the, I mean, even if I say out of concern, oh, this person's got, you know, they're going through a divorce or a tough time and don't think about it. If I say something unconsciously, I know, you know, in six months from now, if she has a conflict with that person, she's going to say, well, this is what I even, you know, heard from her. Everybody knows this about you and it's going to be ammunition. It's going to be used as a weapon. So I just have to keep those borders up that I like the likable qualities about you and I want to have a good relationship with you, but I cannot go down this path of toxic with you that I know for a fact is going to reoccur. So you, all you can do is be your own advocate and, you know, set up ways to be mindful and take care of yourself and keep things peaceful because there's just some people that don't live to be peaceful. They don't live for it. They live for chaos and conflict, and that just truly does exist. And it's not just because they're going through trauma or stress. It's because they get energy from it, and they enjoy a fight. There's just some people like that. And there's all you can do if you're not like that is to make sure you safeguard yourself because it's going to happen again and again when people are internally like that. Their misery is internal. Yeah, I think we could go on for hours on this one because you have. A, <laughs> I think you've got a lot of experience with borderline HCPs. <laughs> yeah. It. So I don't, moving I think on. You can go on and on. <laughs> right. So what's the next one? Paranoid HCPs. 
they uh, they're real suspicious of everyone around them, and uh, they believe in conspiracies, block their careers at work, for example, or their friendships or their family relations, and they hold grudges for years, which most ACPs do. Yeah, and they just think everybody's out to harm them, and a lot of times they'll preemptively attack their targets just to feel, you know, like on top of it. That's almost like narcissistic because they really think they're at the center of everything. Yeah. So if somebody's getting ahead, it's at their expense. Or I had a friend who, if I complimented, like if I would say, oh my gosh, you know, so-and-so's wife is so pretty, she'd say, oh, yeah, her nose is too big. Or I don't like how, you know, I would always say, there's not one reservoir of compliment to where if I compliment somebody else, it takes away from you. Like there's just some people that really think they're at the, they are at the center of all things that go on. So if somebody's getting ahead, it has, you know, it takes from them. Or if somebody's, you know, having a bad day, it's, it has to do with them and they're the target. So that's really a paranoid way to live. Yeah, I think a lot of that goes back to pride. Like I said, a lot of people, including myself, struggle with pride. And I think a lot of that is pride tied in. You know, you're being too proud and worrying about stuff like that. And uh, I used to work with a guy at he, he, I, I guess he would fit into this, but he would, uh, he, you know, he's kind of a heavy set guy and it's hard work on, you know, on the assembly line. And, uh, you know, you, you get tired and worn out, especially towards the end of the day. And, but he would do it all day long. I could always see him when he starts getting tired, it was a way of energizing stuff. But he'd go on about how, you know, this team leader or this coordinator or this boss of his hasn't, you know, moved him up the ladder or kept, held him down and, you know, his career moving forward and getting promoted and get him, they would energize him. He'd start working harder and just go on and on like for the whole quarter, you know, about how this person, or that person, you know, sent his career backwards for no good reason. And it was just That's like his 2 PM coffee is yeah, his, his energy's lagging. So what can I get mad about and complain about and go off about? Exactly. And he would do it all the time. And I didn't catch on for a while. And then I'll, then I started just kind of noticing, well, he's starting to drag, I bet he's getting ready to <laughs> go off on something. Then all of a sudden he'd get himself going off. Sometimes it would even be about his son, you know, his son ain't doing this or his son ain't doing that. And then that, that would energize him. He'd, you know, he'd be mad at his son for all this effort he's putting into being a good parent and, you know, and supporting his son's you know, ambitions of being a pro football player and his son's not doing this or not doing that to make it happen. And it just, it's, it was funny to watch. It was good entertainment for me. Wow. And that's how I got, that's interesting that you're aware of it because a lot of times those things kind of bypass our consciousness and we're just observing the surface behavior, but that's kind of how he got through his day. And if you work alongside somebody like that, they can pull you into that negative energy and they're complaining and it can be contagious. (laughs) Yeah. And it was a pretty much a daily thing for him. Almost daily. I wouldn't say every day, but most days. <laughs> um, I've got that in my family. Um, and then number five is my favorite. So that's the histrionic HCP. What do Go you ahead, you explain it. <laughs> okay. Go ahead and explain it. Um, this personality, it's most often associated with drama and endless emotional stories. Um, they often accuse whatever, whoever their target is of exaggerated or fabricated behavior to hurt, manipulate, and campaign against them. They always have somebody they're raging against. They, this is another interesting dynamic. They assume relationships are deeper than they are, so they're constantly surprised and hurt by how others react to them. They're just unaware of how things are in reality because everything is their perception. They demand to be the center of attention, they will attack targets of blame um, when they're not the center of attention. They, again, get that energy. They work themselves up into kind of a, a fuss when their energy is lagging and need something to blame. They'll often involve others in their complaints, which can lead to public accusation and humiliation for their target. Um, and histrionic is, that's a personality disorder that's known as um, 
being prone to being hysterical, their high drama, emotionalism, everything's reactionary. Everything is. There's not a lot of logic applied before they go from explosion to explosion and high level of everything's urgent. Everything's a panic. Everything's right now life and death. Yeah, I've, these kind I, I don't have too much experience with because I, I, when I see these kind, I run. And I have seen these kind, so I don't have a lot of experience with this. This, this one would, is just would be a real hard one to deal with for me, and I can see this one so easy. Some of the other ones are harder to see, but this one is just so easy to see that uh, I tend to run from somebody like this. So I don't have a lot of good stories on this one. You might be a yeah, it's um, it was. This is a personality type that's been in my family, and it's because my family has come from a lot of poverty, which causes chaos and conflict and, and a lot of trauma. My mom came from a lot of trauma. My parents had an abusive marriage, and we were just we went from crisis to crisis. So everything was level ten stress. It was never. Let's look at the situation. It was like, oh my gosh, the tire blew. We're going to get wrecked. I got this bill to pay. You know, it was everything is level ten panic, and I had to actually seek out therapy to walk me out of that. Not so much that I panic over everything, but I panic over the panic. I will get upset over the drama and get frustrated and, and kind of latch onto it and either try to solve it and shout at it and throw water on it. Or, you know, it just pulls you and it's so toxic. And I had a therapist say to me once, cause I, you know, anytime I would go to my mom's house, there would be, there's something urgent going on that needs to be solved all the time. And I don't know if it's because it's a large collection of people or there's just always problems, but any problem is level 10 life and death today. So I try to avoid it for the most part, unless there's something I can do or guilt gets the better of me. But I went through a series of it about a year ago where I would let myself get pulled in and get frustrated and shout advice that would cause a better outcome or calm down, whatever. She said, why do you continue filling tires that they punch holes in? And that's when I realized, okay, this is that histrionic stuff coming back around to where there's always going to be something to panic about. There's always going to be an animal that's sick or a need that needs met or or an unexpected crisis that happens. And I have to pick and choose and I don't feel guilty about it. I got to be healthy. If if all of us are unhealthy, no one's healthy. At least someone's got to stabilize. So I had to step out of it and think, okay, what can I do? What am I willing to do? What's healthiest here? Because I would get pulled in over and over and there's always another urgency. And, you know, you get that a lot of times also when you're going through divorce in the first couple of years, or if you're dealing with somebody that has this personality, it could go on forever to where everything that happens is worst case scenario. You forgot the backpack because you're a terrible father. You know, you forgot, you picked the kids up late because you're a terrible mother. Everything is level 10 stress and it's high conflict, highly stressful and highly toxic. Yeah, agreed. Maybe we should move on and talk about how to <laughs> treat this. If you are a HCP, what would you do if you, if by talking about this, you've you've seen and heard enough to think, well, maybe I am, maybe I have some of that. You know, how what do I do to to, to heal myself? Well, I think there's two sides. What if you are HCP, and what if you're dealing with HCP? What what do you do? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We definitely have to talk about two. But let's talk about if you are one, treat yourself, and then we'll talk about dealing with it. You know, if you're living with yeah. one or strength. so, what? How do you treat it if you are? If you're realizing, you know, just like you realized when that guy said, "Why would you want to make me feel like this?" If you're realizing you're operating on these behaviors, what do you do? Well, you, that first you have to have awareness, and that pretty much <laughs> brought the awareness to my attention real quick. But uh, I didn't necessarily do all these things, but uh, at that point, I was already starting to do some meditation, and that kind of makes you, you know, you know, instead of 
going by all your thoughts and emotions, you kind of observe your thoughts and emotion and realize, you know, that this is a lot of this is nonsense and chatter. And, you know, I don't need to go by every little feeling and thought that goes through my head. That's not really me or needs to be acted upon. And then yoga and just uh, daily mindfulness, I think helps. And, uh, I think, uh, little bit of like a and therapy words like a trauma timeline for your life like see what you've been through you know and it can kind of give you an idea why you're acting the way you know you are when you look at your you know your the trauma of your life and a lot of times you're being defensive you know you don't really like yourself you know it's a direct reflection of how you feel about yourself when you're insulting other people i think so that's why if somebody's doing it to you yeah if somebody's doing it to you yeah, yeah. And I think therapy would definitely help, which I haven't done. I didn't do that, but kind of on my own. But I, I would definitely think that would help. You're kind of self-taught. I, I like dove in um, to one thing that I that I cannot recommend enough is called DBT or dialectical behavioral therapy. You can even buy workbooks off of Amazon and get started at home, like journaling through those. They teach you concepts of distress emotions, which pass quick. Because if you think about it, emotions are like, they're like weather. We don't have to get caught up in every tornado that comes in. We know they're going to, we just have to stabilize ourselves and kind of hunker down until it passes. You don't act out of them. You just sense that the feeling has come. You put something else in place rather than a reaction and then kind of let it pass and apply logic. So I, I dove into, I've done emotionally focused therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy. I've, you know, I've gone to a lot of expensive therapy at, because it works because I didn't want to get pulled into it. I didn't want to be that and I didn't want to get pulled into it. So, you know, yoga is wonderful. Meditation, taking 90 seconds until your body chemically and emotionally stops surging and then respond. Those things are all extremely helpful when you're high conflict. Yeah, I actually did that uh, dialectical behavior therapy workbook you got. And I guess that was part of my therapy, but it wasn't necessarily at the time when I was going through this. But, you know, it, that, that stuff definitely works. I would recommend that to anybody. And I was going to mention that. Yeah, it's better to, I think it's good to do it when things aren't chaotic because then your tools are in place when chaos comes. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's always good. Not, you know, don't wait and try to react when it's bad. Get, get the tools now and then you're ready for when it's bad because if it ain't bad now, it's going to be something's going to come up eventually. So just be ready because it's always going to be something. Unfortunately. Yeah, it is. And don't and respond you, like your hair's on fire. Right. And you, another thing I had to do was just get past my anger and blaming others. You know, that was part of just like we talked about with these HCPs, you know, and I was kind of hanging on to some anger and blaming others. I had to get over that. And then uh, uh, I heard about this attachment theory and, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, I didn't really have a secure attachment to my parents and felt the love. And that's kind of necessary to have developed life skills, you know, and maybe I didn't have that as much as I would have liked or thought I needed in the beginning. And that may slowed my progress down on, you know, my emotions and dealing with people. Cause you're attaching to the wrong stuff or you're attaching your energy. Like you're kind of, when you don't have that guidance and, and things laid out for you, you attach to the wrong things and then you're off to the races before you know it. It's really a matter of coming back to yourself and mindfulness and doing the inner work. Yeah. That's, that's my thoughts. Yeah. That's what worked for me. Um, I, I liked how it said in this article by Bill Eddy that HCP personality patterns don't have anything to do with intelligence. They can range from super smart people to not very smart at all. I find the ones that are super smart are a little more dangerous because they tend to be more aware of what they're doing and it's intentional, but it really doesn't have anything to do. It's like the rest of the population. It can range from extremely intelligent and successful to not at all. It's just, it, it is what it is. And it's just something that needs to be healed and worked out. 
yeah, just it brings different levels to it if they're smarter. And it's definitely more dangerous because they know how to manipulate more. And a lot of this HCP stuff is manipulation. So if they're smarter, they're going to be better at manipulating. Yeah. And um, one of the facts about it is uh, oftentimes they're unlikely to have insight into their own behavior. They're, they're so reactionary. So if you're dealing with it, you have to put into place, you know, your own therapeutic self-work because if they're unlikely to change, you have to be careful and mindful and you have to be your own advocate. You're not going to talk them into stopping the behavior because chances are they're shooting from the hip and that's just the pattern they've eased into. Yeah, agreed. And then do you want to start talking about uh, if uh, if you're dealing with one, how do you, yeah. you know, how do you, what are you going to do to deal with it? Well, what have you done when you've dealt with it? Like um, at work, when, it, when you've got ridicule coming your way and someone's firing shots, what do you do? Well, you have to set limit, limits, you know, you got to educate them about the consequences, you know, you know, let them know I don't mind cracking, but when you go this low, this is going to be my reaction. Like I'm, I'm shutting you down. I'm not going to talk to you for, you know, probably for several days now, or, you know, I'm just going to shut, shut this down. Cause obviously I've warned you not to go so low and you still didn't do it. So I have to give you a consequence for your behavior and you're controlling this. It's not, I'm not controlling you, but I've already told you, this is how I'm going to react. So I'm not even going to play this game. Matter of fact, I'm not going to talk to you for a little while once you, you know, since you're going so low and we've already, I've already told you, I, there's no need to go that low. We're just having fun here and, you know, cracking up at work just to kill time basically is what we're doing and get through the day. doesn't need to get to this extreme, you know, cracking to try to break me. We don't, there's no need to break me and there's no need for me to break you. So no, you just, you, you kind of turn your back on it. You know, we had a group of friends that that was pretty much their currency was who could go deeper and cut harder. And it got to a point where, you know, I'm guilty of it myself, but I would say, I'm not going around that anymore. I don't have a desire for that anymore. I don't have the energy toward it. I've got different goals. I'm on a different page. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to go into this situation on guard and ready with knives to sling back. You know, you, you really just have to think, what is it I want? What are my goals? What do I want out of life? Do I want to put my time and energy into situations where I'm having to put my fist up all the time? So really, if it's ridicule, I think you have to decide what your bottom line is, what you want to deal with and who you want to be and then respond from there. Yeah. Yeah. And then when you're dealing with HCPs, you like, you can't really criticize them because they're real defensive, you know, so you're, you're, you're not, not going to make them aware. No, because they're, you're not even really dealing with, they're, they're very emotional. So you're trying to use logic sometimes and it's just, that's just going to make them even their, their emotion, not logic. So they're just going to get very defensive and you're not going to get anywhere. The only thing you can really do is give them empathy, you know, attention and respect. I don't know what else you can do and set your, or set them, your boundaries. Give them silence. Give them no reaction, no response. I'm not coming out to play with this. I'm just right, not right. doing it. You can have this or pick someone else to freak out. Right. On. You win, you win. Here's yeah. the flag. You win. If that makes you feel good, you win. Right. You know, and sometimes that's the best way to shut down an argument, even though you may know a different version of the truth. Sometimes it's best to say, you know what, maybe you're right and walk away and let them hold that energy and you don't have any part of it. That to me, I feel like I'm not going to chase down every truth. I'm not going to prove and expose everything that needs proven. You can just have this and that's fine. We both win that way. Yeah. I, I think I've used some of this HCP stuff in the, uh, in the gym for years or whatever. I, I, I don't do it as much anymore as I've gotten older. I kind of got away from it, but I was always like going to the gym and working out and pushing myself physically running, whatever. It was kind of this rolled against me attitude or I'm going to show everybody or think, bring up past conflicts to give myself energy and push myself in a workout. And it worked, you know, I guess. And I, I fed that behavior cause it would, you know, it would kind of drive an anger or something in me to, to push myself. But as I've gotten older, I've, you know, switched 
away from that and just I kind of forgive the past and everybody in the past and just doing it for myself now. But uh, there are times when I really want to do a good workout or push it. I will tap into that still just to, but I know what I'm doing now before I was just doing it and it was just a constant thing. Into that angst. I remember you always talked about, um, we kind of had a mutual acquaintance that you'd see in the gym that you called a dominator. And that was the person who kind of strutted around like the alpha male or female and the one that owned the place and they're most comfortable there. And, um, you know, there's, there's this character in the Harry Potter books called the Dementors. And it talks about how when they come in a room, they make you think about your biggest insecurities and your worst memories. And if you think about when somebody enters the room and if they are a dominator, if they are alpha, if they do feel more safe in an environment than you, you're immediately thinking, what am I doing here? I'm not this. I'm not that. I don't have this. I don't have that. I've done this. I've not done that. And really it's a mindset where you have to be strong internally. That's in conflict. I think it really can be addressed internally before it can be resolved outwardly. Yeah. Agreed. What about, didn't you have a, uh, uh, you ran into somebody you hadn't seen for a while and, uh, they pretend they didn't know you or something that that's sort of a sign of a CP or rudeness yeah. or conflict or something. Didn't that's what we were saying. As much as ridicule is conflict, rudeness is conflict. You really put people on the spot when you're rude. And so I developed this term and, and like we all use it around my family that we call the high school handshakes. And that's when somebody will come and talk to the person you're standing with and not acknowledge you. Or maybe they'll come and be really friendly to you. And then you've got somebody with you that they pretend they don't see. Or, you know, you'll run into someone you've known for years in one setting and in another setting, they pretend like they don't know you. And that is the most insecure, rudest thing ever. And it's something that I've had, you know, problems with for years and it's really burned me up. I've let, I've taken the bait over and over again when some people are, you know, consistently rude like that. And, you know, I'd even dealt with it recently where we were in a restaurant and as we were leaving, a woman that was in there approached who I was with and for five or 10 minutes went on and on and on. And I'm standing there like fake smiling, looking at my phone, looking at the, trying to like kind of signal that I'm here. And what do you really do in the midst of that? What is that about? <laughs> I hate that. I hate that. I, I've dealt with that a little bit or whatever. And I guess I you just got to come to the c- conclusion that it's, not, you know, I, I'm not going to take it personal. You know, right. it's, it's, it's not it's you. their problem. It's, it's, it's not me. Or they got something going on. So I'm not going to take this personal. You know, I, I and you got to think, have I done something to this person really address that in your mind? And if you know you haven't, then it's like, okay, this ain't my problem. No, you know, I learned a really big lesson about that. Um, I'm from a small town. So you deal with a lot of that. And when somebody's rude, it can cause you to think, okay, what have I done that they hate about me? Who did I? who my friends with that dated their boyfriend or what long-standing grudge or lack of loyalty or whatever what you try to come up with the reason and the recipe and that's just how it is so I had moved to a small town for a while and I started noticing when I went to this post office that one person that was there was really really rude and it never occurred to me that I had done something to cause it I just saw the person as rude and this like this light bulb came on that I thought oh my gosh, I've so absorbed this high school handshake behavior and this, you know, limiting rudeness. And it's really not about me because I have an amends process and I'm going to be friendly. I'm flawed. And maybe I've done things in the past to hurt people and there's no perfection here by any stretch. However, I'm going to be friendly. So if you're not friendly back to me, I'm not going to receive it. Like I've got something in my history or my personality that's causing it because I'm really not at fault for how you behave just like you're not at fault if I'm friendly or not. So that was really a big eye-opening thing for me. And I remember calling one of my friends and saying, all these years, when somebody was malicious or petty or insulting, I took it so personal. And I would go on this 
quest for what within me or in my life or in my family, you know, caused me to be treated that way or looked down on. And it really, even if there's stuff there, it really has nothing to do with me. It's whether or not that person acts rude. Yeah. Yeah. That was like, it might like seem like a small thing, but I, that would hurt me a lot. And I went through that many times and would feel so down about myself and so ganged up on. And once I realized I'm not at fault for anybody else's behavior, mood or attitude, that's all codependency. I'm not going to take the blame that set me free. Yeah, that's definitely what the word I was just thinking about. It's like freeing when you come to a conclusion like that. And it's a shame that it takes so long in life to get to that. I wish I could have figured that out a lot younger. But yeah, once you figure that out, it frees you up. And that's that that feels really good. Yeah, it really doesn't. I remember my son came home a couple years ago and I'd asked him, gosh, when you go back into some of those old places, if you run into somebody that maybe you did wrong or they did you wrong and a grudge might be there, like, how does that bother you? Because it bothers me. You know, especially if it's a group of people and I've you know, dealt with that with groups. And he said, no, I don't care anymore because I've, I've done the work. And if I walk in in a good mood and someone's got nasty energy toward me, I just know they haven't done the work. You know, I'm yeah. willing to do the work to be cool with anybody. If you're not, that's your problem. Right, right. It's a, the key for me sometimes is not taking a bait and bringing my A game and being mindful of what's happening and, you know, having that mindset. Because sometimes I'm off my game and I can get sucked into it. So, <laughs> That, that definitely has got to, I'm not always on my A game, but if I'm on my A game, they're not going to suck me into it and I'm not even going to have a reaction. I'll get myself out of that situation real easy, but I'm yeah. not always on my A game. No, you're not. And like, if you're feeling down about something or having just experienced something kind of negative and then you walk into the high school handshake, your mind might go down that rabbit hole of my fault. But these days I'm a whole lot less likely to take your rudeness as something I caused. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've come a long way, but I'm still got a long way to go, but I've come a long way. But you brought up the group thing. I don't know if you would want to talk about the incident, but I remember you went on a trip out of town one time and you, you, there was a group of people there that sounds like they were HCPs and uh, you had to call, you had to call your boyfriend at the time. And <laughs> you want to talk about that or is it too embarrassing? <laughs> it's embarrassing, but um, yeah, I mean, it definitely relates. It was, um, it was actually just like 10 years ago. I even called you about it um, that I had gone out of town. I wasn't really close to these people. I had one friend that I was close to. So I kind of, agreed to this trip that wasn't even something I would normally do. I'm not real big into girls trips or things, girls nights or things like that. It's just not, it's fine for someone else. It's just never really been my thing. So I went on this girls weekend and when I got there, you know, it's no secret that I've got a family in recovery from addiction. Everybody was kind of passing around pills and behaving in ways that was kind that were, you know, I'm not some prude, but that was pretty foreign to me and I was out of my element anyway. So I started kind of retreating and I noticed that the more intoxicated this group became, the more I became their target, their scapegoat, their person of ridicule. And anything I did kind of ended up on the chopping block. So I had my one friend with me who was a high conflict personality. She's definitely a splitter and has a lot of these behaviors. And I had to finally cut that off because I kept getting hurt like this by it. You know, we're, you know, in our late 30s, early 40s a lot of these behaviors are real juvenile to me. And plus I was wounded from family situations and just kind of trying to navigate those. I was real exposed and vulnerable. So they started kind of making fun of me every room I'd go in. And then I would go back to her and say like, I have, I'm sensing this really nasty vibe and I don't want to be around this or that. And she'd say, well, you know, I've got your back and don't worry about it. And this person's acting like this and I can't stand them anyway. And then she would go back to them and kind of make it worse. So um, basically they had just kind of made up a stupid rumor about me um, 
spilling something or doing something on purpose and they started posting it on the internet and I didn't know it. So by the second day that I was there, the vibe was terrible. People were either not talking to me or, I mean, it was just like, you could sense it. I couldn't figure out how to make it better and get, kept getting worse. So I called my partner and he actually flew in that weekend to spend the rest of the weekend with me. When he gets there, they started turning it on him. And, you know, why is he here? He thinks he's better. Why is he, I mean, it was like nothing we could do or say was not under a microscope and attacked. And I kept turning back to this friend and finally I realized, you know, you're, you're making this worse, not better. I don't know why. Like, there was no way to fix it. So on the last day that we were there, he and I went hiking. They spent the day out drinking and trashing us, continuing to post statuses. And this is really just how crazy I let it make me. I knew my girlfriend who, you know, I thought was kind of an ally. I knew her password onto a social media and I went in and read her messages and, you know, she had said things like, well, I may be crazy, but I'm not crazy as her. Or, you know, I may act stupid and rude, but I'm not like her. And she was like, and these were strangers that she had kind of just met. We were supposed to be on a girl's trip. And I became this like scapegoat. You know, I'm not trying to look at it like a victim. There was no way I could fix this. I couldn't apologize, get along with them, be polite. It was so out of control that I finally just had to go home. And it continued for a couple of weeks after. And I got a long winded apology from her and she tried to explain it. And I defended you. I don't know what that was. And even though she was at the center of it, as usual, um, causing trouble and making it look like I created it, there was just nothing I could do about it. I had to distance myself. And it took a couple years to shake all of that. I was going through high trauma with my family anyway. And it was, you know, in my life, when it rains, it pours. There was no way to fix any of it. I had to just restructure myself to stabilize what's important, who's important. And, you know, consequently, I watched every one of those friendships fall apart and fail. And for some people I've received, you know, apologies from, I don't need them. Some people have, you know, moved on in a different direction. But that was, my entire life was high conflict. And that was the climax of it was walking into the setting. I didn't look out for myself. I put myself around people I really didn't know that well. I didn't know their habits or their lifestyle. I walked in, I really wasn't my own advocate at all. And it exploded in every direction and I couldn't get control of it. And it was one of the biggest lessons I've learned of coming back to, if no one else is looking out for me, I'm going to look out for me. And when this high conflict stuff presents itself, I'm going to come back into this moment and be mindful how to keep myself healthy. So yeah, that was a terrible experience, (laughs) but I really learned who was there for me and who I couldn't trust. And I, you know, I don't know that I would change it now because every situation in my, my life in friendship in my life is a million times more healthy. Yeah, what's good about that story for this subject is a, that, that's a, like a group of HCPs yeah. because they have a, your HCPs always have a target of blame. And for whatever reason, you became a target of blame. On, and not just because usually it's probably just going to be one, but now you had a whole group and you're on a road trip. And, and they were bonding by making fun of me and like attacking everything. And I know, you know, you've experienced that too. And I know many people have. You find yourself in a situation, maybe at work or at not, and it's so out of control so quick, but people are bonding by hating you. Yeah, yeah. The, the group mentality, you know, the, the mob mentality. mentality, right? It's definitely yeah. what it is. And what do you do in the midst of it? What have you done when it's happened? Well, I've never had a situation like that. That's why yours is such a good story. Cause not, when you're out of town and traveling, you're, you know, you're, when you travel, you're looking to have a good time. So this isn't a good time. That's flipped backwards. And yeah. you're a little more vulnerable when you're out of town. So you're probably feeling, you know, you're not in your safe, secure environment. So that probably, you know, made that worse. So, uh, your, that story there is a, 
a real good one for this. And I, I don't have any as good as that one. That one sums up a, <laughs> I never had a pack of eight CPs against me. <laughs> well, they also had like drug and alcohol problems, which I'm not shaming anybody for that, but that definitely fueled the behavior, you know, and then you got HCPs, troublemakers, all of these people attracted to each other because they all live in that kind of behavior like it's normal. And even, you know, a year ago, I got a message from one of them saying, I can't stand any of those people. I was just going through a divorce. So that's why I was around people like that. I, you know, I knew what they were up to. They had a problem with you from the start or, or they had a problem with me and they thought, saw my friendship with you as a threat because I liked you. I mean, it was weird because we're like older, but I got these long, weird messages about it. And because I know it's a high conflict situation, I wasn't going to try to resolve it and, and validate myself. I just said, okay, I understand. But you will never have access to me like that again, none of you, especially you. Because in the midst of that, I'm vulnerable. I got stuff going on in my life. I took a risk to put myself around people I didn't know that well. And you were a part of it. So none of you get to be close to me again. And maybe you don't care, but I just know that I'm going to look out for me. Yeah, yeah. You, with friends like that, you don't need enemies. <laughs> As the old like saying that, goes. Friends like that cause you enemies. So <laughs> with that said, I don't really want anything to do with high conflict. I do want to empathize and I want to understand why somebody may be operating in it. But if it's your way of life, especially if it's how you get energy, I'm, you need to be in therapy. You need to work that out because life is not meant to be lived in conflict and crisis. It's not meant to be chaotic. It's meant to be peaceful. We're supposed to build each other up and love each other. As You know, that may sound weak, but really that's what is going to bring forth change and progress in your life. It's when you beat each other down and stay on that low-level limbic way of living, you're not going to make progress, at least not with the right people. No, I think you summed it up pretty good. Uh, for me, it was looking into this, HCP stuff and I didn't realize when I first started looking into it that I was so much of an HCP until I started doing it so this is actually doing this podcast and a little bit of research on this has been uh, like therapy for myself as well so I really enjoy this and it's taught me a lot yeah and if you, you know I can't encourage you enough if you're dealing with it be your own advocate if it's an ex or whatever look out for yourself do whatever it takes to keep yourself in peace and if you are it figure out a way to heal become aware and heal because you're probably affecting people and unaware that they're eventually going to hit their limit, not want anything to do with you. And not only that, if you're causing people problems because you're high conflict, that's going to come back on you. So I can't say enough about pursuing peace and wellness and introspection. That really to me is the bottom line of healing and having a good life. Yeah. And even though I didn't do it, I think for most people, therapy would definitely help, you know, and it, I've done, you know, some of the handbook therapy and you can do it online now and with your phone, you know, you can, there's therapists, you can do live sessions with your phone. It's much cheaper than going to an office. So I would say for everybody that that would help, including myself, I should take my own advice. Yeah. <laughs> so with that said, I think that's about all I got. Even, you know, in, in that group of people, I wish you well, everyone. Um, that's all we got. And until next time, we wish you well. Bye-bye. You have been listening to the Unhooked Podcast. Views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this episode by the guests belong solely to the guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the host or any affiliated organization or institution. Annie's books, Unhooked and Unbroken, can be found on Amazon, Cokesbury, BarnesandNoble.com, and wherever books are sold. You can find her work by searching Annie Highwater on Facebook. If you have enjoyed the Unhooked podcast, please subscribe, share, and leave a five-star review. We hope you'll keep coming back to listen to The Unhooked Podcast. Podcast.